Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Let's see. Where do I start? Good morning, Living Word Family Church. And uh, you who are not here today, good morning, Mr. and Mrs. America and all ships at sea. We finished up our series, Stay the Course, uh, just last week. That was a, not a verse-by-verse study on Hebrews, but a look at the whole book of Hebrews with an emphasis on its core message, which was simply, don't backslide. Don't abandon your faith. Stick with it. And uh, if you missed the, the wrap-up, I encourage you to get it. We tied it in with communion. And uh, that series was really all about avoiding backsliding specifically as a response to persecution. The, the audience that this letter was written to was not necessarily drifting away from Christianity into rank sin. Now, it's not like they were uh, Corinth or something like that. This, this was an entirely different problem. They were drifting back under the Old Testament law, uh, Judaism. And, of course, still there's a takeaway for us, right? Because we don't need to get back. We don't want to get back under the law, either the Old Testament law, the law of sin and death, uh, just for momentary pleasure of sin. It's not always persecution that tempts somebody to leave the faith. Sometimes it's simply the allure of sin. Uh, Backsliding, typically when we talk about it, is just that. It's not somebody wanting to get into some legalistic manifestation of religion or faith. It's a matter of simply drifting into sin. Have you ever ever read these, uh, these articles, make the rounds every now and then, and it'll be, and I don't know how valid they are, uh, but they're still fun to read. Here's a list of the top 10 concerns teachers had about students in 1950. These are the top 10 behavior issues we had in, you know, chewing gum, talking in class, whatever, and then versus the top 10 concerns that teachers have today. And these are meant to illustrate the downward slide of morals and principles in the country today and the idea that things that seemed scandalous uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago are, seem so tame by comparison today, right, that there are uh, things that really, frankly, I couldn't have imagined even 20 years ago, uh, sometimes even 10 years ago, that, that my kids are facing and having, having to hear about and wrestle with uh, that, that really we couldn't have imagined when we were children, when many of us were children. And, uh, it's, and I'm talking about opportunities for sin, great temptation. And this isn't what the message is about. I'm just laying some groundwork. And all that to say, there are things competing for your attention and really competing for the attention of your children that many of us never had to deal with. And these temptations threaten to pull us away from Christ. Now, even though these particular brands of temptation and maybe the levels might be something we've never experienced and never imagined, this is still not a new problem. This is Romans chapter 1. The second half of Romans chapter 1 tells the story. And we are in a moment of time right now that is, I don't know how many times we've, we've had to think about this and say it over the last six months, but it's unlike anything we have ever seen. This is a confluence of events, a confluence of movements, and circumstances that are producing fear, panic, anger, and depression on a scale that is 
unprecedented. And this can and should be an opportunity for us to introduce, introduce God, the source of our hope, introduce Jesus Christ into these despairing people in these desperate times. But the fact is that many who are in the church, those who have already believed in the Lord, are experiencing much of the same fear, much of the same uncertainty. So many who have trusted in Jesus are so concerned with keeping their heads above water that they have become what the military calls combat ineffective. Combat ineffective. Uh, a unit that is combat ineffective is one that has suffered a certain number of losses or morale is too low or training is too low for them to be of any use in a combat situation. I just watched one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, have anybody ever seen 12 O'Clock High with Gregory Peck? Uh, fantastic movie. Uh, it's a war film with very little war in it. Very little. There's, there's one combat action sequence toward the end but most of it is about leadership. Uh, and Gregory Peck plays a general who takes over an air wing in the early days of the bombing campaign against Germany in World War II because they are suffering uh, more losses than the other, other groups. And so he takes command to figure out what the problem is. And one of the things he tells the flyers right off the bat is, the problem is you're not thinking about the mission. You're thinking about going home. You're thinking about going back to your girl. You're thinking about going back to your job, going back to your life. Stop thinking about that and consider yourself already dead. Stop expecting to come home alive, and that makes the fear easier to deal with. Now, believe it or not, there is a little bit of a scriptural parallel there. It's called take up your cross. Being dead to the world and alive to Christ. So many of the things we fear losing, we are going to lose anyway. Remember what the quote we ended last week, that came near the end of last week, uh, the Jim Elliott quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Stop, we cling lightly to the things of this world. It doesn't mean God doesn't want us to have good things in this world. It means these, these, the things along with this world are perishing. We consider ourselves dead to the world, and it hurts less when we, when we suffer loss from time to time. doesn't mean we give up. We're still promised victory. We'll, we're still, we, we still are promised abundance, and yes, we speak these things. Okay, But when the world seems to be falling apart, we need to understand that's kind of what's going to happen to the world. It's going to fall apart. And we shine and we stand out when we don't fall apart along with the rest of it. Right? Okay. makes it easier to concentrate on the mission when you think less about yourself. Now, keep in mind, I'm a faith guy, and I want you to be faith people. We serve, not just serve, but we've been grafted into the family of a God who loves us, who cares about us, and who has promised. He delights in our well-being. The abundant life that Jesus spoke about, it does not start when we die. It starts when we invite Christ into our lives. He's who makes it abundant. But we just have to remember that the manifest abundance that we experience is not the end game. It's, it's not the ultimate goal. It's simply a byproduct of being in right relationship with God. 
Why am I talking about this? Because I want to acknowledge a few things. One is that there are very real and pressing issues all around us today. Surprise, surprise, right? We've got not just the COVID thing, but we've got wildfires. We've got riots. Slipping under the radar for probably most of you is that the Yellowstone caldera is acting up in ways it hasn't in nearly forever. Hundreds and thousands of earthquakes registering on that. Do you know what it means if the Yellowstone caldera explodes? Just look it up. If you, it'd be a nice uh, bedtime story for your kids. Uh, there is, uh, there's also hurricanes all over the Pacific Ocean. And looming out there in the future, there is a huge economic nightmare as the bill for the shutdown comes due. We still don't know what that's going to look like. And an election. And in this environment, the expectations of society at large are insisting that we literally redefine good and evil. I saw an ad the other day, maybe some of you have seen it, it was on TV, it was, it, and it was an advertisement for a drug that is designed to reduce the risk of getting AIDS. So obviously it's aimed at a particular uh, group of people. But here's what it said. You know, they always have the warnings. You know, this drug is not safe for this, side effects this. It says, uh, please speak with your physician. This drug is not approved for use by those who were assigned female at birth. Don't get me started on that. That, that. that statement is ridiculous for a number of reasons. Who was it? There was, there was an article that, uh, I can't remember who wrote it or what it appeared in, but somebody, they refused to use the term woman. But they had to differentiate between men and women in a particular statement, so it said, people who menstruate. And one, a famous author ridiculed that statement. And this famous author, by the way, uh, has been lambasted by the church for a number of years. But this, this, uh, this author came out and said, people who menstruate, didn't we used to have another word for that? What was it? Oh, yes, woman. And what happens? They attack her for being intolerant and hateful. This is what I'm talking about. We have always lived in uncertain times from a worldly perspective. But now we are living in a time that lacks not only certainty, but sanity. It, this world is going crazy. Simple statements of fact, statements of truth, are often considered hate speech. And even to openly profess that you are a Christian brands you in the eyes of some people as a hate-filled bigot. Is that news to anybody? People respond to this in different ways. Uh, I'm talking about Christians. When, when you find that the world treats you like a hate-filled bigot, or they say things about Christianity, about your faith that you know aren't true, Christians respond in different ways, and some of those ways are more profitable than others in terms of the effect that the gospel has. But here's the issue that I'm seeing. What, I, what concerns me is the, how many people, especially though, young people, but it's not exclusively young people, many people are deciding to avoid that kind of label by choosing not to identify with Christianity. 
I see what direction the world's going. I see what's hip. I see what, what gets approved of. I don't want to call myself a Christian. I don't want to identify with that too closely because I don't want to be lumped together with that, with that idea. But as we learned when we read through Hebrews, this is something we were reminded of repeatedly. You are not simply disassociating, with a, disassociating yourself from a belief system. You're denying Christ. You are refusing to be identified with Christ himself. I'm not saying, don't be afraid to be a hate-filled bigot. Jesus was too. That's not what I mean. You know that's not what I mean. I mean, stand up and demonstrate that what they're saying about you, about Christ, is wrong. Now, as we attempt to grapple with all this stuff, we know, we already know, uh, how, that uh, there's two things that have to be in place. When we as believers wrestle with all of this nonsense, uh, I say some, some of it's nonsense, some of it's very serious stuff, um, there are two things that have to be in place in our lives that have to have prominence and priority of place in our lives. And one is we must know what the Word of God says. Right? What it says about right and wrong, what it says about sin and righteousness. We need to know the promises of God. We need to know about the authority of the believer. And we must pray. Because only God can guide us through this mess. Only God can guide us through these messes. So we cry out to God to fix the economy, to get the right people elected, to eliminate COVID, to rain on the fires, to end the shutdowns, to calm the storms, etc. And for those of us who embrace the word of faith, we stand scripturally in the midst of all this stuff for healing for our bodies, for protection for ourselves and our property, for abundant provision, for boldness, for wisdom, are these things God has promised us. Yes, so we stand in faith for these things. These are, there, there are legitimate cares in the world. And we have a command in Scripture to cast our cares, all of our cares, on Him because He cares for us. As I said in my newsletter article, sometimes faith is a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. And there's no sense kidding ourselves about that. We know, don't we, that there's an enemy who wants to steal from us everything that God has promised to us. But in the middle of all that, here's what I want to focus on today. We read in Hebrews, again, that without faith it is impossible to please God. That includes my prayers. If I offer a prayer in desperation, I'm not saying that it won't move God as a father sympathetically, but it won't please him. Prayers offered in faith please God, just like everything done in faith pleases God. And I want to look at one of the highest expressions of our faith. As I've stated before, I believe the highest expression of faith is obedience. If we believe God, and the Bible clearly equates obedience with faith. But I've always maintained that praise and worship is also very high on that scale. And one aspect of our praise and worship is gratitude. Genuine thankfulness to God for all we have, for all he's given us, for all we enjoy. Let's look, uh, let's look at some scripture. Psalm 100. It's a short psalm. We'll read the whole thing. Psalm 100 reads, 
Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. And we look at that phrase, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. And we use that. That's the reason we open our services with praise and worship. This is the first thing we'll do. When we come together as God's people into God's presence, we will start with thanksgiving, with praise and worship. And I, and I agree with that. But I'm thinking, is this what we do with our prayers? You know, men's prayer on Saturday, Monday night prayer here, the, those, those meetings start with times of praise and worship right before we get into prayer. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you go before him, when you pray, whether it's at home in your prayer closet, whether it's with your family, whether it's on your drive to or from work, whenever it is that you spend some time alone with God and you go before him to pray for the nation, when you're praying for healing, when you're praying for provision, for protection, when you're praying for wisdom, when you're uh, entreating God for something which is utterly scriptural, to ask him for things, right? Do you start or at least include genuine expression of heartfelt thanks for all that he has given you, for all that he has done for you? I've referred to this a number of times recently, uh, so we'll read it this morning from Deuteronomy. Uh, and, and you can turn there if you want, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is giving his valediction to the children of Israel before they enter the land of promise. And he starts by reminding them uh, of their, really recounting their recent history, how God has brought them out of Egypt and everything God has done all along the way for these 40 years to keep them and uh, guard them and prepare them for the fulfillment of these promises. And then he goes into this uh, warning them prophetically of things that are going to come. And then he tells them, or he tells them in the midst of this sermon about the blessings of obedience. I know most of you are familiar with it. He reminds them again and again of how God will drive their enemies out before them. He reminds them uh, that he is doing good to them because he is good, not because they are good. I'm doing this, I'm bringing you into this good land because I love you and I have favored you. And the other reason is these people that I'm driving out are wicked. They have exhausted their opportunity for repentance, so I'm driving them out as judgment on them and I'm driving them now out so I can move you in because I have set my favor on you, not because you are naturally better than they are. So he warns them against idolatry. Oh my, please read this book. If you haven't read Deuteronomy in a while, I strongly encourage you to. It's just, it's a wonderful book, and it's very hard for me to pick out a, just a selection to read, but here it is. In, Deut in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 6, and this is the longest passage we'll read today. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, and a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, 
When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when, you have, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and the thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end, to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and allow other gods, sorry, and, and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I, will, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Here's a statement I will, I will just pull out of there. Forgetting that everything we enjoy is the blessing of God is the first step down the road of godlessness. When we forget that everything we enjoy is the blessing of God, we have taken our first step down the road to abandoning God. Neglecting to express our gratitude will lead to an actual dearth of gratitude and to the illusion that we really don't need Him. If I neglect to express my gratitude regularly, I will soon stop experiencing gratitude, sensing that gratitude. I will slip into the illusion that it really wasn't God at all, that I have other, I have either my own strength or just the good fortune to live in a time and a place that I've been able to enjoy the things I've enjoyed. And then I'm forgetting God. The really good news about all of this, because when you read through Deuteronomy, uh, and, and, and even this passage we just read, uh, don't forget the Lord your God in order to keep all his commandments, keep every one of his commandments, keep his law. It can start to be a little bit overwhelming because you're like, uh-oh, how much of the law can I fail to keep and still walk in these blessings? Because it lists the blessings, blessed in the country, blessed in the city, blessed in you know, the the head and not the tail, uh, blessed, in, blessed in your, uh, this will never be empty, this will never, I mean, even your livestock is blessed, your property is blessed, everything, blessed, blessed, blessed. But if you fail to keep the law, then you're going to be cursed, you're going to be cursed, you're going to be sick, you're going to be this, all this other stuff. You're like, all right, is it an all or nothing proposition? If I mostly keep the law, will I be mostly blessed? No. <laughs> it really was an all or nothing proposition, wasn't it? Remember what the whole point of the law was? 
I mean it. If you can keep my law perfectly, I'll bless you. But you can't. You need something besides the law. You need Jesus Christ. The good news for you and me is Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. When we go before God, there's a principle here for us. Believe me, there's a principle here for us. But the principle is not keeping the law so that we can be blessed. The really good news for us is Jesus kept the law perfectly and we are in him. So when we stand for those blessings, the blessings are for who? They're for the righteous. Who's the righteous? Anyone who is in Christ. He is the one who has qualified us for everything that God promised even under the law. Let me get back to this gratitude because I'll come back around to that in a little bit too. Near the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses is uh, reiterating the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience, which I just referenced here a little bit, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 47, just a short passage here, it says this, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies. It wasn't just a matter of keeping the law, checking the list, it was a matter of serving the Lord with joy and gladness. That's just what we read in Psalm 100, isn't it? Serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 103, forget none of his benefits. Psalm 136, for his mercy endures forever. Remember the old song, count your blessings. Name them one by one. There is absolutely no shortage of stuff to pray about. There are concerns. There are cares that need to be cast on him. There are petitions to be made of him. But there is more, much more to thank him for. Right here and right now, I mean. If there were nothing, we could still thank him for heaven. We could still thank him for the promise of eternal life. But I'm convinced that every single person in here has plenty to thank him for today. Right here and right now. And if we neglect to thank him, not only is it rude, but it's not faith. Even when we are fighting a faith battle, we need to be doing it from a position of gratitude. Because if it really is a faith battle, it is based on a promise of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known. When we know what God's will is, then and only then can we absolutely be sure we are operating or asking or thanking in faith. So if I need, for instance, a healing, where do I start with my prayer for healing? I start by thanking him that the healing I need has already been purchased. I start by thanking him that not only has it already been purchased, but that Jesus himself has qualified me to receive what he purchased. I think I talked about this last week or the week before. That's the way, that's the way, that's sort of the logic of the prayer of faith when it comes to healing is, Lord, Jesus Christ took those stripes on his back for my healing. That was the payment for healing for who? Healing is a blessing given to the righteous. Okay? So how do I know if I'm one of those that he bought healing for? Because 
His blood qualifies me for everything He did on the cross. Every promise that God made His people is for the righteous. His blood makes me righteous. Therefore, I am qualified for everything that He promised, and He specifically purchased healing for me with those stripes. So when I have a physical manifestation of sickness in my body, I don't pretend it's not there. It's not a Christian science way of looking at it. I just deny that this sickness exists in my body. No, that's not it. It's saying this sickness doesn't have a right to stay in my body because healing was purchased for me by the stripes of Jesus and his blood qualifies me to receive what he purchased. So what do I start with? Thank you for paying for my healing. Thank you for the healing that you've already said is mine. I am determined to receive it, Lord. By faith, I just reach out and I thank you for it. And I speak to my body and say, body, you have to line up with this because healing already belongs to you. Sickness, you have to leave because healing belongs to me. And healing and sickness can't inhabit the same space in my body. No matter what I feel. It's not denying the reality. It's insisting that reality line up with the word of God. So, if he loves me that much, that he qualified me for every good thing, and that he spells those good things out to me, why then are there still so many struggles? I've said for years that the life of a Christian is not sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. But why not? Why not? You know, God told the Israelites that he would drive out the enemies. He says, you're getting ready to come in here, and I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, but I'm only going to do it little by little. And he gives two reasons for that. The first reason he gives right there in Deuteronomy, I'm only going to do this as you, as you get into these lands. You know, he gives them, yeah, you're going to inhabit from here to here and from here to here. Later on, they would divide it up by lot uh, for, for each tribe. But he says, I'm not going to just snap my fingers and make all the enemies disappear from, ev- from border to border. As you move in, I'll move them out. Because he basically says that their enemies are going to be caretakers of this land until the Israelites get moved in. I don't want them moving out and abandoning it because otherwise weeds and thistles and thorns are going to grow up. This way they can maintain the land for you and keep the wild animals out of it and everything else so that they inhabit a civilized land. The other reason comes in Judges chapter 3, and I've always been fascinated by this verse, or these two verses. In Judges chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now these are the nations with which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Isn't that something? I'm going to keep these enemies around so that you don't forget how to fight. He keeps us battle ready. There is never supposed to be, and surely never has been, a generation of believers that live without their faith being challenged, tested, and proven. Every generation must fight the good fight of faith. Do you remember King Asa? One of my favorite sermons. Might be getting time to preach that again. It's been a couple years at least. Uh, He was the father of Jehoshaphat. You remember Jehoshaphat. He's the one who sent the praise and worship team out in front of the army and the army didn't have to fight at all. Um, 
but Asa was the third king of Judah after the kingdom was divided, a king of the southern kingdom. He was a good king, and 10 years into his reign, he won a great military victory against a foe that was vastly numerically superior. And he did it simply by trusting in God. He went out against Ethiopia, uh, over a million-man army, and it said God struck the Ethiopians before him. And it was such an extraordinary battle and such an overwhelming victory uh, that there was no more war for Asa and his kingdom for 25 years. And he did great things in the land. His policies were very godly. He was a godly king. And he was encouraged by the prophet to keep doing what he was doing. And then in the 26th year, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel came to invade and make war against the southern kingdom of Judah. And Asa, instead of doing what he did 25 years ago and simply trusting in God, he enters into a treaty with the Syrians. Now the Syrians were an enemy of God's people, but he buys them off, basically says, come fight Israel for me and get them off my back. And ends up being rebuked by the prophet. He says, why didn't you trust in God? You remember what, how, what God did against the Ethiopians? They were a greater army than Israel. And now you've entered into a treaty. God was going to use you to judge the Syrians, and now you can't. And here was the long and short of it. Do you remember uh, the, the proclamation of the prophet at the end of this rebuke? He said this, from now on, you will have wars. If the only way I can keep you trusting in God is to keep you in a position where you are constantly fighting, bleh. now didn't, he didn't say from here on out you'll lose wars. From here on out, you'll have wars. He had forgotten, Asa had forgotten how to trust God because it had been so long since he had to trust God. You hear that? We forget. Sometimes we can forget how to trust God if we go too long without having to trust God. You know what I mean by that? It's kind of like with the illustration I talked about getting out of the boat. Well, I'll get out in faith, but I really don't need faith because I can swim. I am trusting God to supply my needs, but it really doesn't matter since I have a million dollars in the bank. That's my faith's confession. No, it's not. It's not my faith's confession not to have to trust God. Never mind. I'm not going to try to explain that. The only defense against that, because listen, I'll be honest with you. I've fought faith battles. I like to think I'm not any more afraid of fighting a faith battle than I am of snakes. I'm not afraid of snakes. I didn't say spiders for a reason. But I don't want to fight, usually. I'm a peaceful man. And I like relaxing. I like enjoying life. I don't want to, I'm talking about a fight of faith. You know, one of the hardest things I ever had to fight was, was my, many of you know, my, the episodes that I endured with my back a number of years ago. I had never known that kind of pain, never known that kind of weakness and helplessness. 
I don't want to fight that battle again. I don't want to fight a similar battle. But the fact is, battles will come. Uh, and Asa, it was really an expression of God's love to Asa. Look, I want you constantly trusting in me, constantly leaning on me. You've just kind of basically forgotten that you needed me in the middle of all this. And the proof of it is, you didn't run to me when this, when this battle showed up. You ran to Syria, of all people. And if God, God wants you, he wants your heart, he's like, if the only way you're ever going to turn to me is in hard times, I guess I can supply you with a lifetime of hard times. It's not really my heart. So what's our defense against that? It's to live in constant, conscious gratitude for the peace, the prosperity, the health that we enjoy, that we never forget that it is a blessing from God. It's not the strength of the United States of America. It's not our own righteousness. It's not our own merit. It is the goodness of God and his unmerited favor on us. Why is it on us? Because we are in him. Sometimes faith is a battle. Sometimes faith is a prayer of thanksgiving or a song. But even in the times of battle, in the times of need, we need to start with thanksgiving. We enter the gates and we enter the battle with thanksgiving and praise. Can you agree with that? I just said, stand up with me, all these things that God has promised, everything that we enjoy, these manifest blessings, man, oh man, it's tough. Uh, this is going to sound a little bit irreverent, and I don't really mean it to be. Sometimes, I, I understand, it, it's better. Man, it, it's the kids, the best way to live your life is what they used to just call the straight and narrow. You stay humble before God, you avoid sin, you live under his blessings, you be good, okay? That's, that's where, that is the path of blessing. But sometimes in kind of a twisted way, I'm thankful for the times that I have blown it because I know, I know just how much it's God and how little it's me that I walk in his blessings, I don't walk in his blessings because I have been manifestly good for my whole life. I walk in his blessings because he has been manifestly good to me. All right? His blessings are on me because I am in him. His favor is on me because and only because I am in him. And if you have been better than I have, and probably many of you have, You've lived a kinder, gentler, more godly life. Praise God for you. But God's favor only rests on you because you are in him, not because of your own righteousness and merit. We all get that, right? And in that, when we are in him, and when His, therefore his favor and righteousness rests on us, that's where all the good stuff is. That's where the blessings are. It's included. It's all part of the package. And that, thank God, includes the thing that allows me to sleep at night. The fact that I know where I'm going when all this is over. Why do I know where I'm going when all this is over? Because I'm in Him. And only because I'm in Him. That's how we know we're going to heaven. That's how we know our future is secure. But it's also how we know we have all these blessings. But that's only if you are in him. So the next few uh, 
seconds here, I'm just going to say a few words to those of you who may not be. If you have never committed your life to Christ, if you have never bowed the knee before him, if you have never confessed with your mouth, not just believed in your heart, but if you've said, if you've not said, Jesus is Lord, I do believe that Jesus is God, the Son, Lord of heaven and earth, and I declare now that he's my Lord, and I believe God raised him from the dead, then you've never been saved. I'm not talking about graduating from a Sunday school class. I'm not talking even about water baptism unless it was as an expression of the confession I just talked about. But it's not something to think about forever. If Jesus is who he said he is, if the Bible is the word of God, you have a decision to make. We all have a decision to make. Am I going to believe it? And if I believe it, what's that going to mean for my life? On one hand, you have to count the cost. On the other hand, sometimes it's faster to look at the bottom line. Heaven or hell. I'm not promising you an easy life. I'm promising you an abundant life. I'm not promising you a life free of battles, but I'm promising you victory, according to the Bible. Does anybody want to enter into that saving relationship with God, the God of the universe today? Is there anybody in here who needs to say, Scott, today's my day. Today I become a Christian. I don't care, what the, I don't care how the world defines Christianity. I declare today for the first time that Jesus is my Lord. I desire to be saved. I give him my heart, and I invite him into my heart. Anybody need to make that decision today? Praise the Lord. Then you know what we need to do right before we close? Right before we, uh, right before I pray over the offering, can we just take 30 seconds to say something to God? Will you repeat after me? As I say, you know, it says make a joyful noise. It actually means shout joyfully. So say it loud with me, all right? Say this. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for loving me, for healing me, for supplying me, for protecting me, for blessing me. Thank you for heaven. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for peace. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for using me empowering me, making me salt, making me light, and causing me to be a blessing in a world that needs your love. We love you, God, and we thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Right before I uh, get out of here, I just want to uh, remind you that you will, will be dismissing by rows, and you can deposit your uh, offering, your tithes and offerings in the receptacles out there. Uh, one of the most genuine expressions of thanks, especially when we come to thanking him for the stuff, the manifest blessings. And the stuff, it was spelled out here in Deuteronomy. He's not just talking about the God who makes you feel good and lets you know I love you. It's like he's talking about houses and produce and oil and uh, animals and everything else. This we, we measure it usually by money. Same thing. It's material provision, right? 
God is for us. He delights in our prosperity. And one of the tangible and, strict, and, and obedient ways that we express our gratitude is by returning a portion to him. God calls it the tithe. He said, the tithe is mine. You're not giving it to me. You're returning it to me. And we can, he certainly encourages offerings over and above the tithe. I believe the tithe is a great starting point for every believer. Uh, but if you're not offering of your substance, then no matter what you say, you are not really obeying him. You're not really trusting him with your finances. And I'll tell you what, in financially uncertain times, you do not want to be the person who's not trusting God with your finances. Uh, you're not believing God if you're not obeying God. So give, not because we need your money. God's taking great care of this church. But he does that uh, by moving you to obedience. And because you've been obedient, we've got a beautiful place to meet. We've got a safe place to meet. Uh, and we, as a church, continue to be a huge blessing to some wonderful, life-changing, world-changing ministries and missionaries around the world. I don't ever want to stop doing that. So I thank you for your faithfulness. And I know that God will bless you. He's promised to. He's a God who's not slow to keep his promises. He's not slack concerning his promises. He will not let you down. Let's be faithful to him. Let's express our gratitude to him even as we give. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you have done for us and every way you've revealed that to us even today. And right now, we specifically want to thank you for your goodness to us in terms of supply. You have not let us down. Um, you have not let us go hungry. And we are thankful for your promises, your clearly spelled out promises to provide for us, to supply all of our need according to your riches and glory, to open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing there's not room enough to contain. Father, by faith, we receive those blessings today as we cheerfully joyfully, obediently, and expectantly give. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.